0: Welcome back to Verse vs. Verse. I'm Brad and I'm joined by Jace and Jordan today as we are going to be going through the Prayer of Azariah as the first installment of a new small series we're going to be doing called Protestants React to the Apocrypha. Now the idea for these is we realized that many Protestants, ourselves included, have read maybe parts of the Apocrypha but really haven't studied them in depth and for somewhat good reason. Uh, We don't view them to be inspired, and so of course they take a backseat in our minds to, to the scriptures that we do believe to be inspired. But having said that, the Apocrypha, generally speaking, are important literature of the Second Temple period, and important literature that could have influenced the New Testament writers, or at the very least, the interpretations that the readers would have had When reading the New Testament. And so for the purpose of better understanding the the culture at the time that the New Testament was written, we think it would be beneficial to take some time just to read through uh, these apocryphal texts. While we're doing that, we thought it would be fun for our Catholic brothers and sisters to watch us as we react to a lot of this content for the first time. You'll get to see in real time as we read these twists and turns uh, for the first time for us, and see our reactions to it, and how people who haven't heard these stories a million times would would sort of be surprised by, by some of the elements in it. Uh, in any case, we mean no disrespect by saying that we don't believe it to be inspired. We do think it's important literature, and um, we count you as our brothers and sisters if you do think it's inspired, but uh, for historic reasons, we respectfully disagree. In any case, we're here to have a good time, and we're just going to go through these one at a time and start off with the prayer of Azariah. Uh, Jordan, if you don't mind.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to read the prayer of Azariah. And before I read that, just a little bit of background. Uh, this is meant to be uh, within the book of Daniel, specifically towards the end of chapter three, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. And it is at the moment where they are thrown into the fiery furnace in verse 23, that this is set to be written. Um, and as I, I believe that neither myself nor Brad has ever read this before. I don't know if Jace has or not, um, but I'm going to go ahead and read it and we will react from there.
0: And Azariah, that's one of the three of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That is Abednego, yes.
1: So Excellent, okay. Uh, that would be Abednego. And so the idea is this is what Abednego says while he's in the furnace for the first section. Uh, And so I'm going to go ahead and read that segment and then um, we'll go from there, if that's all right. Sounds great. Starting in verse one, they walked around in the midst of the flames, singing hymns to God and blessing the Lord. Then Azariah stood still in the fire and prayed aloud, blessed are you, O Lord, God of our ancestors and worthy of praise. And glorious is your name forever, for you are just in all you have done. All your works are true and your ways right, and all your judgments are true. You have executed true judgments in all you have brought upon us, and upon Jerusalem, the holy city of our ancestors. By a true judgment, you have brought all this upon us because of our sins. For we have sinned and broken your law in turning away from you. In all matters we have sinned grievously. We have not obeyed your commandments. We have not kept them or done what you have commanded us for our own good. So all that we have brought upon us, oh, sorry, so all that you have brought upon us and all that you have done to us, you have done by a true judgment. You have handed us over to our enemies, lawless and hateful rebels, and to an unjust king, the most wicked in all the world. And now we cannot open our mouths. We, your servants who worship you, bear shame and reproach. For your name's sake, do not give us up forever and do not annul your covenant. Do not withdraw your mercy from us for the sake of Abraham, your beloved, and for the sake of Isaac, your servant, and Israel, your holy one, to whom you promised to multiply their descendants like the stars of heaven and like the sand of the shores of the sea for we O oh Lord have become fewer than any other nation and are brought low this day in all the world because of our sin in our day can, we I, ha- can
2: I pause this here real quick mm-hmm. okay so we see here i guess they've been thrown into the fire they've started walking around they're singing they're praying and clearly, at this point, they're not getting consumed by the fire, which would have been expected. So we're already seeing the miracle happening. And it sounds almost like they're praying for the miracle to continue, right? Um, they're talking about how God is righteous in comparison to the kingdom around them. Um, and it's interesting to me that the first name that pops up here is Abraham's name.
1: Um, I mean, yes. that that I mean, that, that seems like a reasonable place to go to, to me.
2: So here, here's the thing, though. In Jewish teaching, uh, have you heard of the story of uh, what is it, Abraham and the idol shop?
0: I have not. No, okay,
2: nope. That's so new to me. Abraham and the idol shop. This is a midrash teaching. Are you are you familiar with midrash in general? Yes. Yep, okay. Yes. So Jewish rabbinic oral tradition. Basically, the rabbis, in order to teach lessons about scripture, would it's gonna sound super disrespectful if I call it fan fiction, but that's the way it sticks in my head. <laughs> um, is basically they would write stories about the characters of the Bible in new settings, new stories about them to demonstrate like spiritual truths that are taught in scripture. And so they have this one where my understanding is that Abraham and Haran, and so that Haran's what his his dad, right? No, Haran's Haran's the brother that died. Anyways, Mm -hmm, um, so Abraham and Haran were captured, and there was an evil king that was basically telling them to renounce their god. They're basically telling them to renounce their god, is my understanding. And if they didn't, he was going to throw them into a fiery furnace. This sounds a bit familiar here. And Abraham said, you don't need to bind me, I know my god will save me, and walked into the furnace. And he was not consumed by the fire, because he believed that God would save him before actually seeing the evidence. Haran, on the other hand, didn't walk into the furnace. He waited. Once he saw that Abraham was safe, he then walked into the furnace as well. But Haran was consumed by the fire, and that's how Haran died in this Midrash teaching, was because while Abraham believed in God— and was saved through the fire haran waited to see a sign of it and because he had to see something to believe he was not saved through the fire okay so this this predates the story of dan the book of daniel itself and so in Jew, in the Jewish mind, I'd imagine, I, I know that in the Jewish mind, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the hey, hush, 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 the fourth person that they thought was in the fire was Abraham because of that Midrash teaching. So it's interesting that here in the prayer of Azariah, we see Abraham being the first name mentioned. I have to imagine that that's a reference to this Midrash.
0: Do you know when that Midrashic writing Ooh. was originated? <sighs>
2: It's hard to say because it all started out as oral tradition. Um, so I'm not positive. Well,
1: okay. That there also is... depends, Jace, on when Daniel was written. That was where I was that's going true. with
2: that. Uh, it also depends on if every piece of Daniel was written at the same time, if like the prayer of Azariah mm-hmm. was written during the same time as the rest of the book of Daniel and how that all works. Well it that's also a whole yeah. other can of worms. Yeah, I of mean,
1: yeah, we could open up the, the Daniel <laughs> date conversation. That's a good that's a great one for another debate episode because yes. I you could say, yeah, it predates the writing of it, pre- the, the writing of the Mishrash teaching predates the writing of Daniel. Uh, now, maybe? the
2: Midrash definitely had not been written down prior to this. But well, apparently and, that oral tradition did exist and, before this. I I,
1: you could you could say that it might have influenced this, maybe. I, I think that's – personally, I think it's a bit of a stretch because in the context of what he says in verse 12, which is um, – you know, he he doesn't just mention Abraham; he mentions Abraham the beloved, Isaac mm-hmm. the servant, and Israel the holy one. In other words,
2: yeah, he lists the four. He lists yeah, the forefathers here. He,
1: yeah, he does, and and he, which is interesting to me. He gives each of them a title, uh, yeah. which I really love. I really like the way that that's actually written, very poetically. Um, But it kind of does it shows the different roles that they have and why they were each unique. Which is, you know, Abraham was beloved. He, he was the one that established the covenant. Isaac was the one who originally, um, worked his tail off in order mm-hmm. to make something, cause he left everything behind like his father in order to build something. And and it's interesting cause he did, he, he was a servant and then he followed that up by Israel who became the father of, of the nation. And now, so, yeah, I, I don't, I think more to it that, that verse stuck out to me, not because of Maybe it was influenced by that Midrash teaching. Maybe it wasn't.
2: There's definitely, I think, to your point, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're considered these three pillars of the Hebrew people. And there's always been this kind of like teaching of the the idea of three but four. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But whenever we look at the story of Genesis, obviously Joseph is also kind of a fourth pillar, even though Joseph is only one – of well, I guess two of the clans. Um, So it's kind of these three pillars, but there's almost this invisible fourth pillar that's unnamed. And this theme doesn't just pop up here, but we see three people thrown in the fire. They name the three pillars of their people, almost kind of paralleling themselves. And when you look at it from a foreshadowing point, this idea of three but four, what are we about to see happen?
1: Well, and I think you're right. In the book of Daniel, that's kind of a running... Well, I wouldn't say it was a running thing in Daniel, but with specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego,
2: and But also Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, Yeah. the the three but four. It sticks out here as well.
1: Yeah, so I I think I can see where you're coming from. I don't know if I would go as far as to say that this was influenced by the Midrush teaching because I don't know when that happened. I'd have
2: to go and do a deeper study to know when all these things came around. I just know that that's that from what the jewish people believed like in their writings and stuff mm-hmm. and even today obviously they're not going to put jesus as the guy in the uh in the fire
0: right right and and just to uh, just just for our audience we'll not go in detail on it but the, the more or less to oversimplify a complicated issue the debate on daniel's dating comes down to whether you put it in the 6th 6th century bc uh actually during the deportation in babylon or shortly thereafter or whether you instead put it in the 2nd century BC uh, alongside, alongside um, Athanasius the IV. Um, was that his name? No, it wasn't Athanasius. Yes, yeah,
1: it was the Maccabean era.
0: Yeah, well, it, it, the Seleucids right before the yeah. Mac, <laughs> Maccabean, likely right before. Well, the Syrian
1: conflict is really where they, they place it, because it, it predicts the Syrian conflict. And so they're like, well, it couldn't have predicted it, because... <laughs> Goodness, right. that's prophecy. We can't have that. <laughs> Absolutely. That's like that's like eighty percent of Daniel. By the way, if you look at Daniel as a whole, it's like there's prophecy that says, yeah. first of all, prophecy that says Jesus is going to come in the empire that falls after the, the Greek empire, Antichrist. which was the Romans. So, like you know, there, the Messiah is going to come after the Greek, a, yeah. and after, and also, uh you know, there's also, I think, I personally believe that in Daniel twelve, there's a prophecy that another spirit like Daniel is going to return. In another age to speak to, again, the prophetic and apocalyptic nature thing, which was John. And so it's yeah. like there's so many prophecies in Daniel that are so specific. And depending on who you ask, some of them are down – like there's a – depending on who you ask, there's a prophecy in Daniel that prophesies the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the on Adam. I've
2: heard the theory. I'm not sold on I, it. But I, it, is a, it is a theory.
1: It is theory. That's what I'm saying. Is that if you if you get nitpicky, you could probably pull out several that it's like, okay, yeah, the Syrian. Like I'm just saying, the Syrian wars happening is by far the least interesting thing that it prophesies, in my opinion. So anyway, that's just for context in the Book of Daniel. So if this is in some means, that I guess is my issue with this particular bit right here is that I'm like, this is beautiful. This is really well written poetry. That's very biblical, um, and it, but I don't know that it's in any way prophetic. But that's okay. I don't. It doesn't have to be prophetic. It just well, is beautiful.
2: Maybe it will be. We'll find out.
1: And
0: and one thing I, I just wanted to correct myself, it was Antiochus, the fourth epiphanies of the Seleucids that a lot of Daniel's writings have very exact prophecies about. And so yeah. the, the more secular dating puts it towards the end of his life. I love the logic. It doesn't talk about Antiochus's death at all in the prophecies. So the secular folks will argue, well, it must have been written right before his death because he didn't know about his death, which I just think is Amusing personally, because I am wondering if Daniel needed to write like a full biography of the man in order for him right. to believe like, it wasn't a complete <laughs> biography, so obviously And <laughs> anyway. who could have
2: possibly predicted that this mortal man would die one day? That's well, wild. Right. Let's... <laughs> Let's talk a little bit too. Okay.
1: Um yeah. while we're on, on this segment. The first thing I noticed, the first thing I noticed was then Azariah stood still in the fire. And I'm like, hold ho hold, hold up. Because like earlier in the chapter he was a and now he's Azariah, and I think that that's interesting. I mean, but they all have their Jewish names I think names that's here. an intentional choice here. Yeah, they all have yeah, their Jewish names here. Yes, yes. But I'm saying as yeah, Azariah being his Jewish name, just I'm Daniel's Daniel's Jewish name as well. Or sorry, I shouldn't say Jewish. Yeah, name. it's his Hebrew name. Yeah, um, Az- Azariah is Abednego's Hebrew name. Um, but the, I mean, yes, that is true. But I just think it's interesting because you kind of get the impression from the rest of Chapter 3 that – and given the context of also Chapter 4, that the context that this is being written in is from the – I guess you could say the Babylonian perspective uh, perspective, – because they choose to use their Babylonian names when describing it. And this is kind of a record of that. And later on in the book of Daniel, there are, you know, we have Nebuchadnezzar writes a portion of the book. Like So the, obviously there are sections of the book that were from the perspective of Babylonians. And so that's why there are Babylonian names. It's interesting to me that in this section, uh, it's like, okay, let's change gears and make this the Hebrew name for the reason that it's a prayer to the Hebrew God that makes perfect sense to me. I just thought it was odd. It just felt very disjointed to me. Um, and maybe that's because the shift was uh, maybe it's just cause of my own bias that I'm used to just being like, here's the story of what happened in the fire. It's like, they got thrown into the fire. There was somebody else. They didn't get burned. Nebuchadnezzar was like, that's weird. They came <laughs> out of the fire. And then that was that, right? He was like, ah, oh, surely your God is the God, Right. Um, So for me, it just,
0: that part to me threw me off immediately. Yeah, my thought is, and and I think you were alluding to this, I think that perhaps the author of The Prayer of Azariah was trying to make a point here that sort of in this moment in the fire, they're more connected to their Hebrew nature than to their Babylonian nature, even in the middle of this captivity. And And, so instead of referring to them by the Babylonian name, they're switching over to to their Hebrew name. Not gonna lie,
2: that fits
0: the themes Mm -hmm. in Daniel. Oh yeah, especially going back and forth between the languages like Daniel Mm -hmm. does, he plays the same game. Yeah, exactly. As well as the fact
2: that by refusing to bow down to the statue, they're essentially rejecting their Babylonian identity. They basically said, we're not Babylonians, we're Hebrews. And so they get thrown in the fire. fire. Now they're not at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now they're back to being... Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's really the point that I'm making is this whole, the whole aspect of Daniel is this identity. Like I almost wrote a book on Daniel and I called it identity because with the D-E-N bolt uh, because pun's intended, right? But the whole book is about identity. And that's kind of the point here is they came in, they were brought from this other place and the entire time the Babylonians are saying, "Uh, you need to be this. You're not this anymore, you're this now. You're not this person anymore. You're this. This is not yeah, your you God You don't anymore. Eat like this.
2: Now you need to eat exactly. what
1: the king says. And all of it is, no, I won't give up who I was because that's who I am. I'm not going to give up who who I am as like my identity in God. I'm not giving that up. Um, so I think it, it could definitely fit with the, the theme of it. It just from my weird Protestant brain, it threw me off because I was like, oh, like the names are different and the context is different and the and the structure is different but that can always be intentional right by the the one who put it all together the somebody can put that all together and say okay this is a fairly significant moment in the story where we need to jar the the reader into understanding how significant this is um, by shifting all of the gears changing the name changing the structure and then making this a really dramatic moment. And it is like this. This is a dramatic moment in biblical history. This is a very big one. And so I think it's worth that. But anyway, um,
0: one of the look, thing I wanted to yeah, highlight, if we have a moment, was um, in verses uh, 15 through 18. Uh, it's a really beautiful sort of foreshadowing of this idea of uh, the heart of man being being the new temple. Uh, where it says in our day, we have no ruler or prophet or leader, no burnt offering or sacrifice or oblation or incense, no place to make an offering before you and to find mercy. Yet with a contrite heart and a humble spirit, may we be accepted as though it were with burnt offerings of rams and bulls or with tens of thousands of fat lambs. Such may our sacrifice be in your sight today. And may we unreservedly follow you for no shame will come to those who trust you. And now with our heart, we will follow you. We fear you and seek your presence. And so you have this idea being presented here, sort of two ideas. Number one, that what used to be the function of the temple and sacrificial system is now being accomplished through the contrite heart of God's people. And and second, this idea that, um, that, uh, I apologize. I lost Hold my on there a second. <laughs> You're starting to sound a
1: little too New Testament for me there, bro. I am
0: sounding very New Testament, but it, I mean, you can see something similar in jeremiah uh is it 22 or 31 i was I gonna go to hebrews but Jeremiah um,
2: is probably more contemporary <laughs>
0: right uh when jeremiah prophesies about the, the, new, the new covenant and he talks about how god's going to uh repair their hearts and forgive sins um and allow knowledge of god um this seems very much in that vein and i think it was uh Regardless of whether you, you you say that this was written by Daniel, you know, regardless of whether you take sort of the Protestant or the Catholic interpretation of this, in either case, it's very uh, insightful of the author to look forward to what reads to me like a very New Testament idea, at least a couple hundred years before the fact.
1: Well, and I think though it's consistent with several of the contemporary prophets. I agree, and I think that, that the, I think we get in our Protestant post Christ brain that and and it's not even because people in during the time of christ and even after that understood that the bible had this paul makes the point that the bible has always said this like it's over and over again it's that theme is there and so for us to just be like oh that's weird because that sounds like a new testament thing well it's a god thing and god's nature hasn't changed and those who have observed god understand that about god because that's just who god is and so for it to say you know i believe that god's grace can extend past the temple to be where i'm at if if i'm willing to turn to him and turn, you know return to god um i think that's a yeah, good point and, and
2: especially if we keep in mind that it's that exact attitude that led to the establishment of the synagogue system
1: mm-hmm. you no, know that's absolutely true i mean it's like what what do you do when you can't when you can't worship at the temple when you can't offer the sacrifices what do you do? Well, you have faith in God and you pour everything you have into him. That's it. That, and that that's always been the case. And those who follow God understand that. The the complaint, if you read the rest, of the, like especially the minor prophets, when the prophets go to the people, they're like, yeah, you're offering sacrifices and all that. But the problem is that your heart is in the wrong place. And so... If your heart is in the right place and you can offer sacrifices, you're going to offer sacrifices. But if your heart is in the right place and you can't offer sacrifices, you're going to do everything you can to pray to God and just say, "I'm doing the best I can," basically, which mm-hmm. is what this is. That's what exactly what this is. Um, did, uh, Brad, you read, you read through the next three verses that I hadn't gotten to yet. Yeah, why don't you
2: start? Oh, on did 19? I read them? Yeah, sorry, you,
1: you were like, "I want to cover one thing you read," and I was like, "I don't think we read this." Uh, oh, my bad. <laughs> um, but. Anyway, I'll read on. i continue reading on from verse eighteen here. Now, with our heart, we follow you. We fear you and seek your presence. Do not put us to shame, but deal with us in your patience and in your abundant mercy. Deliver us in accordance with your marvelous works and bring glory to your name, O Lord. Let all who do harm to your servants be put to shame. Let them be disgraced and deprived of all power, and let their strength be broken. Let them know that you alone are the Lord God, glorious over the whole world. So before we get into the next section, um, which is, I think, all of them. Um, anyway, um, i just based on, I, I, again, I haven't read this, so I'm just basing this off of the, the chapter heading. But um, in this last section, this sounds very consistent with major prophets Um, in my opinion, Um, again, following that theme of we're following you with our hearts and we understand that you are a merciful God, that you are a, a kind God that you will have grace on us. And more importantly, in this case, that you will put to shame, those who have undermined you and your people Uh, you're going to protect your people as you always have. And in this, in this case, I mean, think about the context of what's going on. He's like Nebuchadnezzar throws him in the fire, and they're like, "This guy's awful, isn't he?" Like God, like you got to save us because look at this guy, look what he just did. Like, can you believe this guy? And Nebuchadnezzar's like, "Dude, I am right here." Like,
2: you know, like <laughs> well, Nebuchadnezzar's he have been that close. I mean, it would have killed him, right? Uh, but how like, odd it was. <laughs> you
1: gotta somebody recorded him saying this, so somebody heard it, right? Um, yeah. I just think it's interesting. I am just like he's sitting here, like, God, you, you put us in a place where it's like this guy is is he's not only bad, okay? The people we live around are bad, but this king is the worst. It is he's and terrible?
2: I'm wondering <laughs> if there's any if there's any quote if they're quoting any of the psalms at this point because this all does sound very much like some of David's psalms, especially like I mean the the first thing that comes to me to mind is like lord though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i'll fear no evil for you're with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare for me a a banquet table in the presence of my enemies like these ideas are consistent throughout all of scripture just like you're saying
1: you could if you really wanted to take bits and pieces of the psalms and make this
2: which it would would make sense because the very first thing it says they're singing hymns to god and praising him as lord and what kind of hymns are they singing they're singing psalms
1: exactly yeah i think i think that that's fairly reasonable to assume at this point and uh, like i said these all make sense because what is what do the psalms also talk about they also talk about god's mercy his loving kindness his deliverance uh it's almost his,
2: like all of scriptures are consistent what is oh my this Oh
1: goodness just how <laughs> dare you insinuate such a thing everybody knows that anyway i'm not gonna get it except,
0: except leviticus i'm told that one's boring that one is. I actually found like I really that, love Leviticus. Yes, yes, yes yeah. I, I, I love but, Leviticus, but anyway, not the point. That's just your lawyer.
2: More to the point.
1: Oh, yeah, that doesn't make sense. More to the point, though.
0: Because um, I like the sacrificial system and the parallels to Christ, but yes.
1: <laughs> that, that too. Um, those are important. I think that, though, if we're reading this in the context that it was intended to be written in, or read in, I should say, right. um, that this. Really does sound like, okay, this is a story of some people had faith that God was going to deliver them, and they got put into a situation that seemed hopeless, and then they prayed, God, you delivered us from this. God deliver us from a much greater problem. You know, there's a there's a much bigger problem. God deliver us from this. Since so you can deliver us from the fire, you can deliver us from the flame, deliver us from evil, right? Yep. Um which, I mean, and I think at the same time, solid rhetorical point there.
2: Yeah, and I think they're talking not only saying, God deliver us from the empire, like, okay, if you, you can deliver us three from the flames, let's deliver the, all the people from the empire. But I think on top of that, there's also the very real aspect of if you can deliver us from these physical flames, deliver our hearts and our will from the temptation of sin that we've been stuck in for right. generations.
1: I do go back to. Um, You know, they say, you know, please be patient with us, be graceful towards us, but also put the people to shame that put us in this situation. Again, Nebuchadnezzar supposedly standing right there is like, deliver us from deliver us from those people. And also anyone who stands against us should be deprived of power. Okay. Again, pointing directly the finger at directly Nebuchadnezzar here and disgraced, um, to be fair, that seems rather consistent with the rest of the story of Daniel, yeah. right? That um, is what happens, yes. That is yeah. precisely what happens. Um, and so, and let their strength be broken. I mean, like, that's just, you know, seems very pointed and directly at Nebuchadnezzar, which a little jarring to me because, again, you come out of this and he's just like, oh my goodness, like, I can't believe it. Your God is awesome. Uh, which I would say that, too, if I saw somebody walking around in the fire but like they straight up are just like this guy, this guy's awful. This guy just threw us in a fiery pit. You delivered us from that. You can deliver us from his hand. I know you can uh, do that so that when people see this, they will say, ah, oh, your God is the God, which is what happens at the, you know, with all of this is that they walk out and he's like, your God must be the God. We all got to worship him, which I guess was what they were praying for anyway. But it does seem interesting that they're like, please deliver us out of the hand of basically the Babylonians at this point. Uh, because we know that you could. And, you know, they basically, they they get there eventually, but not, certainly not immediately. But their requests for those who put them, like, those who fight against them, specifically Nebuchadnezzar, to, you know, be put to shame. Yeah, good job, cowboy. Um, I mean that literally. Um, get it? Because he, he thinks he's a cow Anyway, anyway this is just a... <laughs>
2: I did not get it. Sorry, I had to <laughs> explain my joke. That was, it's never honestly, good. this is one of the few jokes that was funny after you explained it. Yes, well, I was like, it's a,
1: it's a cowboy. I was sitting there like,
0: where is he going? What is happening? And then you explain the joke and perfect. 10 solid out of 10. joke. Good job,
1: cowboy. All right. Anyway, I I feel like, anyway, I, I do think, though, the themes are there. I think all the themes are consistent. I just think, yep, boy, that's absolutely. a weird place to put it in. But anyway. Um. Uh, if you have anything else for the end of that section, because there's a whole lot more.
0: I say we keep rolling. Yeah. Let's yeah.
1: Roll. Verse 23 Now the king's servant who threw them in kept stoking the furnace with naphtha, pitch, tinder, and brushwood. And the flames poured out above the furnace forty nine
0: cubits. Good <laughs> gracious!
1: And spread out the burn those Chaldeans let's, who
0: were let, caught let, in Let's talk for the audience. How large is forty nine cubits? Forty nine cubits. Let's just let's just like low ball it here. Well, okay. forty nine cubits. It's like, are that's like a hundred feet.
1: feet. Okay, But at least that's like a minimum. Okay, we're I thought they were a, a foot and a half a, a piece. Yeah, I may yeah, yeah, be twenty there.
2: meters. Okay, um, so, so let's say. Is 49 cubits the – I I, wanted, I was curious about the original text here because if 49 cubits is the number that they gave – I'm going to do Brad and Jordan's favorite thing here. That would be 7 cubits times 7 cubits. So that's a pretty complete fire right there. I suppose. Anyways, it's, indeed.
1: It's <laughs> consi- again, consistent with the Book of Daniel. Anyway. Um, it is.
0: That, that's an appropriate <laughs> time for <of> numerology. <laughs> okay,
2: I'm just going to throw out the numbers there. Like
0: 49 the cubits.
2: Let me just – To scale that though,
0: 49 cubits, 20
2: meters. Think like, uh, that's insane,
1: that's outrageous.
2: Eight story building, that's that's
0: just
1: (laughs) anyway. 49 cubits and spread out and burned those Chaldeans who were caught near the furnace, consistent with the rest of the story. But the angel of the Lord came down into the furnace to be with Azariah and his companions and drove the fiery flame out of the furnace and made the inside of the furnace as though a moist wind were whistling through it. Well, that's the, new. Yeah, that adds some context to the story, doesn't it? The fire did not touch them at all and caused them no pain or distress. Then...
2: I don't think that this is a real connection here, but it does immediately make me think of, if I remember correctly with the plagues, if you look at the original like con- like language the hail that came through had actual fire inside each of the hailstones. So anyways, it's just interesting. This is kind of the inverse, but it's not the first time that God's done something like that by any means.
1: Well, I think it's um, interesting because, good gracious, 49 cubits of fire is just absolutely insane. (laughs) Um, Because I'm like, let's put this in D&D terms for a second. That makes Fireball look
2: like... Garbage, yeah, they, right? got, they got a little bit more than 8d6 of damage. What they, well, they would have, well, they got zero d6, but yeah, I guess that they, they it's all, like, you know, no, so wonder the
1: there's no wonder the people who threw them in died, though. 49 cubits of fire is insane, anyway. Yep. I'm still getting, I'm gonna be getting over that all night, but anyway, <laughs> they
2: you'll have to climb high the, to get
1: over it. the And it specifies, and this is what's funny to me because he's the one who prayed. It specifies that the Lord came down in, to be in the furnace with Azariah and his companions. So it's like, now it's like, at first it was Daniel and his companions. Now it's Azariah and his companions. Meshach, Shadrach and Meshach are just getting like demoted continuously. That's um, what it feels like. But anyway, the angel of the Lord comes down. He's with them. He Drives the fire out. And then there's this voiced wind
2: what? What? It's called a cool breeze. I, um, yeah, my, my translation says cool breeze, and I just don't like the idea of it being a moist wind.
0: Moist wind. <laughs> I don't know why, but in my head, just the, the phrase "moist wind" or "cool breeze," either of those, I picture this big fire, and then it all goes away, and then they like begin doing like a deodorant commercial. You know, oh, like moist goodness. breeze. I I don't know why that it well, is. Well, where my brain went with it. It says that it's not it's, the writer's it's intent.
1: It's whistling through the furnace. Which is like mm-hmm. there's a, you know, like if you if you can imagine that furnace, it's basically probably a big like it's got a dome with a cylinder on the top of it. Most likely, that's how a lot of those are built. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes sense if there's like some air moving through it that there's gonna be it's gonna be whistling to the top.
2: Man, now I really wish I knew the midro like that. If I, I wish I knew how to go and find that Midrash teaching just to see how similar the language was.
1: Well. I think it's really irrelevant if that helps at all. Uh, <laughs> might save you
0: some time. <laughs> but anyway. Um, I mean you could always argue that that midrashic teaching was coming from the pair of the prayer of Azariah or from Daniel. Anyway, you can just argue the reverse around. order of you yeah, can one just build on the other because I mean
1: anyway, I'm not going to get into I'm not getting into the date of Daniel, it doesn't matter. Anyway, verse 28, then the 3 with one voice praised and glorified and blessed God in the furnace. Blessed are you, O Lord, God of our ancestors, and to be praised and highly exalted forever. And blessed is your glorious holy name, and to be highly praised and highly exalted forever. Blessed are you in the temple of your holy glory, and to be extolled and highly glorified forever. Blessed are you who look into the depths from the throne on the cherubim, and to be praised and highly exalted forever. Blessed are you on the throne of your kingdom and being. And to be extolled and highly exalted forever, blessed are you in the firmament of heaven. And to be sung and glorified forever. I'm gonna stop there because there's a lot going on in that. I'm gonna let you guys go first because I keep talking. But can what I pops say one? There? Go ahead.
0: Well, there was one thing it mentioned the temple, and that got me thinking about mm-hmm. about these dates. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daniel was purportedly taken in the first captivity in 605 BC. Mm-hmm and then the temple was destroyed in 586.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Was, according to traditional readings of Daniel, was the temple destroyed at the time of these events?
2: Um, no, because this, this would have happened right after the three years that they had been educated. No, yeah.
1: I was going to
0: say, because that, that would,
1: again, yeah, that's right. They were still younger, and the temple had not yet been destroyed. Yeah, it's which is still interesting. they still young men here. This is, I'm glad you brought that up, because go read Ezekiel, that's like the point of Ezekiel is right. People get taken away and it's like, okay, but like now they don't have the temple, right? Um, big problem. They don't have the temple and have access to it. And Ezekiel's point is God will be there. God will, Mm -hmm. God knows where you are. Um, and more specifically, he's like all of these people who keep acting like, oh, well, you know, like the Jews in Judea or Judah, sorry, I should say, um, The the people in Judah who were acting like absolute fools and continuing to turn their back on God were over here just disrespecting God, and they had the temple. But you had guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who glorified God, honored God, continued to uphold his laws, and they didn't have a temple. And so where is God going to be? Well, God's going to be with the people who have faith. That's where he's going to be. Okay. Think, that's interesting. Yeah. Because...
0: And, go ahead. Sorry. I, I, I was just going to say, I, if you going back to the verse I've been obsessing over verse 15, um, when it says, you know, we have no ruler, no prophet, no leader, no burnt offering or sacrifice, so on and so forth. My brain goes to, well, if this is supposedly happening in 602 BC, you've still got Jehoiakim. He hasn't even rebelled yet. Then you have Jehoiachin. And then after that, you've got Zedekiah. You still have a ruler. But your point, I think, which is fair, and it's probably the intended meaning here, is that they specifically don't have a leader because right. they're in Babylonian captivity, which makes right. sense.
1: No, that's uh, and that's my point, is that they're in captivity, they don't have any of that. And, and I mean, point, it's also clearly the teaching, some, go ahead. But
2: it, it, there, there is a little bit of hyperbole, I think, there because they're saying, you know, we have no king, we have no prophets or leaders. I mean, Daniel's right there. Uh, yeah, clearly he, there's a prophet Okay, but like if you, <laughs> well, like, he doesn't make friend, it into the
0: nevium so he doesn't listen, count as a real prophet.
1: <laughs> your friend Steve was a prophet, but you've known him since you were kids, and you were only like twenty five at the time. Like, and he said something. He's like, "I believe that there's yeah, going to be seven understand. nations that fall before the coming of the Messiah." Like, you'd be like, "Okay, Steve, whatever." Like you.
2: Yeah, I don't know how much that I don't know how much they recognize as Daniel as an actual like prophet. Yeah, I think he was either. recognized before he died for
0: sure. A, I think there's fairness, quite a bit of that certainly. But. In fairness, there's a lot of historical precedent for denying Daniel the t- the title of prophet, but that's neither here nor well, there.
2: Yeah, it's not included in the section of prophecy within well, the um, Ketuvim. But let's, oh, wait, wait, what is it? But, Ketuvim and, in the, in,
0: know, the Nevium, thank Nevium, you. in the Neviim, Neviim, the
2: Tanakh. Yeah. I get my words wrong.
1: Again, contextualize this because they're saying, you know, you are on your throne and Mm -hmm. you have delivered us and you are on your throne.
2: That does have some very much like Ezekiel echoes to me. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's really – that's where I was going with it. Because also, let's be real. Ezekiel mentions Daniel. And so like they're contemporaries. Uh, And and I think that that's (sighs) – Oh, yeah. That's really significant here because –
2: if, so who drew from what i mean yeah who drew from what that's i
1: don't think you draw one from the i think i think he knew daniel i think he knew that he had spoken and i think mm-hmm. if you look at the timeline it makes sense that daniel came first and then ezekiel but that's beside the point the point that Ezekiel's making is the point that really is being made here which is that god is still on his throne even mm-hmm. if we're in captivity
2: and, and all of these ideas you know, can also be traced back to like the creation story, even in certain aspects of that. depends on if you, you know, take so. the creation
1: story literally, but that's okay. Um,
2: I mean, it talks about God being on the firmament. He said,
1: yeah, it said that's exactly what verse 33 is what it says. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. The firm remind me what that is. It's that, the Rocky, that, that solid dome the, of the sky.
1: Correct. Yes. That's what oh, it is. Okay. If you read yeah, yeah, it literally, okay. that's what it means. Anyway, Just um, anyway, so verse, <laughs> moving on to verse 34, unless y'all have anything. <laughs> no, I'm good. Um, <laughs> uh, Bless the Lord, all you works of the Lord. Sing praise to Him and highly exalt Him forever. Bless the Lord, you heavens. Sing praise to Him and highly exalt Him forever. Bless the Lord, you angels of the Lord. Sing praises to Him and highly exalt Him forever. Bless the Lord, all you waters above the heavens. That would be the firmament. Sing Mm -hmm. praises to Him and exalt Him. Wait for it. Forever. Um, Bless the Lord, all you powers of the Lord. All the powers of the Lord, bless the Lord, <laughs> sing praises to him and highly exalt him. When? Forever. Uh, bless the Lord, sun and moon, sing praise to him, highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, stars of heaven, sing and praise him and highly exalt him forever. Yeah, I'm starting to detect the theme. Um, you know, I honestly, think maybe I could
2: see this section being a really cool, like, call and response section.
1: Yeah, I think this like I'm picturing like I don't know if you've ever been blessed to be a part of a, an African American congregation for worship. That I can see them going nuts with this because I mean, you just get your song leader up there, and they're like, when I say a line, you say, "Sing praise to Him all right, and have it with them forever."
2: Let's let's start this over again. No, at, I'm not uh, singing. 30, I'm not, no, no, no. We're going to start at 35. You're mm-hmm. going to do the first half. Brad and I are going to echo the second half for you.
0: Can we not? I don't it's really There's no really, way we can echo this in unison over, no, I don't over like a this. remote call. <laughs> now, I like and the also, principle. I just want to <laughs> defend Jordan before we get canceled and say I'm 99% sure that was meant to be a compliment to African American I services. don't think
1: anyone who's experienced an African American congregation would take that as a dig, but that's fine. Um, okay, excellent.
2: That's fair. I, I, they're, 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 it's wonderful. It's, yes, it's, it's so fun. My point is that we they could stand have fun much more, emotion, more like them. Unlike <laughs> several
1: Anglo Protestants who don't have fun in worship. Anyway, uh my point <laughs> is though that uh they literally just like ha- like they go piece by piece and they're like every aspect of creation praise him and highly exalt him forever. Uh and like they don't miss anything. <laughs> like they're like uh you know the powers of the Lord, so God's own power singing yeah. praise and praise to him and highly exalt him forever uh let's talk about the angel of the lord well we know that one right that one was going to come the heavens the firmament the sun and the moon uh you know you get into it and you start looking and you're like okay there is an aspect to which just, it, it kind of is broken out like if you start looking at it i'm now looking at it i'm like okay this makes sense right so the first section is talking about his throne his kingdom you know there's that and then there is the heavenly realm and the heavenly realm you know, you've got the angels and his power and his works and the sun and the moon, and because that's in the heavenly realm um, as well, we might not put it there, but that's where they would put it. And so, the stars mm-hmm. of heaven, all of that is in the heavenly realm, okay. And he specifies when he says the waters, the waters above the heavens. So this is like it's broken down. You've got your talking about the kingdom, uh, his throne, his glory, his you know temple the cherubim, all of that, where he resides, where he sits, that is one aspect in which we sing praise of him and highly exalt him forever. Then we talk about uh, the heavenly realms. In all the heavenly realms, praise and exalt him forever. Um When you start getting down further, starting in verse 41, we'll get into a new section of that. and and I think it's interesting the way that it's broken out because it goes piece by piece in every aspect of creation and starts talking about how in every one of these things, every one of these things praises God and exalts him highly forever. Um, Then you exactly know where he's taking it, right? Every single time. But I do think it's right. I think you're right though. If you were to break this out in the original language and you were to actually sing it, it would sound awesome. Because it's a, basically, yeah, it's a call and response. It sounds awesome, right?
2: I'm looking at it and I'm not seeing it super obvious right here, but it feels like this is probably going to be in some form or fashion following the order of the creation story. Um, It, it doesn't seem to be super directly, especially because we have nights and days kind of at the end. But like the fact that you have all the heavenly powers, then you have the sun and moon, stars of heaven, then you get like the things of the earth, and like the nature, like weather itself. And then you get the like, we're about to get into like the mountains and hills and the everything that grows and the animals. So like. I there seems see to be it. some creation parallels. It's I at think, least listing yeah. the things out of creation. It's I don't listing know
1: them if in a... that order, too. Like It's not a
2: super, It's not a perfect order, it, from what I'm seeing. I would need to go and do a deeper dive on no, no,
1: I think it is, because uh, what happens on the first day? He creates light, but I mean... But you that's what I'm say saying,
2: day and night and isn't until 47.
1: He creates light, though, on day one. And the first seg- segment of this is
2: God yeah, that,
1: on his throne. And that's where we... S- Now you could say right because day and night aren't separated
2: until sun and moon, but still we get sun and sun and moon stars of heaven. Then we have the rain, dew, fire, heat, um, dews and snows.
1: Think about it there for a second because what happens on day two?
2: Uh, nothing is created.
1: Correct, but what happens on day two?
2: We separate the land from the water. We no, we separate the water from the water. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. I'm thinking of it. That's why
1: the second segment of this is talking about the heavenly realms, right? You start with God on his throne. And then we talk about what's in the heavenly realm. Then we move down. It's like the rain and the dew. Oh, what are we talking about now? We're talking about the things that happen on the earth, right? Fire and heat, winter and cold, uh, falling snow, night and day, light and darkness, ice and cold. These are the things that happen...
2: daylight and darkness that all comes to day four day, right yeah and okay. so
1: you start getting into it and you're like actually i think you're right i think this is a like very much parallels to the creation account um because then following on it, and of I'm course
2: just, sun moon and stars should have been on day four here then
1: no because i i think maybe you could make that argument well, i mean it's that, poetic
2: so like we have to give it some exactly maybe just it. mixing it with the firmament yeah and i don't know the like i said yeah. i would really need to see it in the original language to be able to make a solid case one way or another well, well and, that's, and also the for what here.
0: it's for what it's worth we're not actually sure what the original language of the prayer of azariah was some people think it was aramaic some hebrew some greek we we i think the manuscripts we have are all greek but we're not certain what it started in. are <laughs> <You're> all greek <laughs> um
1: anyway to move on from that i think that and I'm not going to read everyone because you can guess that every other line I'm about to read is sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. But he, he says this bless the Lord, all rain and dew, all your wind, all you wind, fire and heat winter, cold and summer heat dews and falling snow nights and days light and darkness, ice and cold frost and snow lightning and clouds that covers a lot of nature. Uh, Geez, it
2: really does follow the exact order because then we get to the water creatures, so whales and sea creatures. I bet you anything that the original word, if it wasn't Hebrew, is the word for um, leviathan, because that's what it is in the creation story. And then we get cattle and wild animals. Um, It would not surprise me if the cattle there was actually the same word that's used for behemoth later, but that's a whole different story. Um, But we get land animals, and then we go to people. Like Mm -hmm. like this is so direct. And yep.
0: then after that, you actually, it seems to be the order of events for Israel's timeline. You have Israel, then you have priests of the Lord, then you have servants of the Lord, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And then it the servant. You,
2: you are Israel. I'm going to make you yeah. a nation of priests. I'm going to pull the Levites out to be my servants. You're a faithful people who are humble and holy. And then eventually they get exiled.
1: I, I, I let's Let's focus on this for just a second. Just go through the verses because I think it's important that we get through it. But yes. Uh, to, to the point we talked about lightning and clouds and then it jumps into let earth bless the lord let mountains and hills all that grows on the ground or in the ground sure, i should say seas and rivers springs sea monsters and all that swim in the waters all there birds it in it the is air, sea air. monsters okay yeah. all wind all wild animals and cattle so this is up to you know day
2: six we've had Sea creatures that are swarming and birds mm-hmm. that are flying yeah, in the air. Now we day have four, Day four, day five, day yep. six. We We've got through so all So we're that. into day six now, yeah. Now we're
1: into day six. It says all people of the earth. And that's Boom. where it's, you know, we're, we're moving forward and isolating. And this is all, when uh, now that I've read 65 and I've read ahead, I can see this is like kind of, uh, you know, what is the term? There's all people Inductive, now. We've right?
2: selected God's well, people. That's says, Israel. All
1: people on the earth. Oh, Israel. Which is, you know, specifying. We took the people of the earth, and then we specified Israel. Mm-hmm. And then it said priests of the Lord. Because Servant, God chose the priests. Right, and servants of the Lord. And then it says spirits and souls of the righteous, which seems to actually indicate that that's more exclusive
2: to some I mean, extent. that goes back to, that goes back, I think, to like Abraham, Isaac, yeah. and Jacob, even.
1: You could say that. And then it says holy and humble in heart. And then it says, bless the Lord, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mashiel sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Which is to say
2: that we are part of this group. Of and both. it
1: goes all the way down and says, All of these things in creation sing praise, praise you, and we are part of that. All of creation sings and and sings praise to you and lifts you up and exalts you, and we do too. And I think that's so cool. I think that's such a great way to phrase that because yes it does seem like it just is really repetitive read at first you're like okay we get it like everything does but when you break it down you start looking into context like all of creation from day one has been made to serve you to lift your name up to exalt you and we do too and um and they, they, named, they named themselves, and then they say, for he has rescued us from Hades, <laughs> there you go, Brad, um, and saved us from the power of death and delivered us from the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. But right.
0: isn't an eternal fire? I'm sorry, carry oh. on. <laughs>
1: this uh, one in
2: particular is hey, not. Hey, look, they didn't
0: die.
1: Um
2: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but did they burn forever? <laughs> they also weren't tormented, though. So yeah, I mean, yeah, that's
1: a good point. Um, we'll call it a draw. we we'll that one a draw. Yeah. <laughs> Deliver us from the midst of the burning fiery furnace. From the midst of the fire, he has delivered us. Uh, and give thanks to the Lord, for he is good; for his mercy endures forever.
2: That's 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 straight up a quote right yeah, there. That's he a quote is. right there.
1: And then it says, "All who worship the Lord bless the God of gods. Sing praise to him and give thanks to him." for his mercy endures forever. And I want to follow this up with verse 24 of chapter 3 of Daniel, which says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Satraps, Prefects, Governors, Royal advisors crowded uh, crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants it's interesting to me because they, they basically in this segment and they say all who worship the Lord, bless the God of gods, um, sing praise to him and give thanks to him. His mercy endures forever. In other words, they say, look, our God has delivered us. And that's what makes him, you know, that's part, you know, because he's, he saved us because he is the God of gods. He is the God of all gods. And then jump on over. And Ebuchadnezzar was like, holy cow. They're not only they're not burning up. There's four people. Y'all need to come out of there. And he says, "This is the result of the God of gods. The God of gods has saved you, right?" He says, "You know, the Most High God, which is, you know, pretty good Old Testament terminology for God." He says, "The Most High God has saved you. The God of gods has has delivered you." Um, and I think that that's interesting because it does it fits with the point of Daniel, doesn't it? Because you know, you've got uh, this idea that Nebuchadnezzar has witnessed God's true power, and now he's convinced, now he knows that that is the one true God. Um, maybe not one true God, but he knows that he is the God of gods, right? Even if he, does, he doesn't fully understand the idea of a one true God, but he gets the idea of being God of gods, and that, in fact, he is.
0: Absolutely. One thing I wanted to mention about the uh, the repetitive section with sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. When you first started reading that, I scrolled ahead to see how many times it said that because in my head, you were going to have to read them all back to back. And you may have heard me start laughing uh, on my end. I was trying not to do it audibly. But I ended up having to mute myself because I was laughing so hard at the idea that you were going to have to read, you know, 30 some odd verses in a row that went like that. And it was only as we started parsing through them that I got flashbacks to numbers when it repeats the same phrasing over and over and over and over. And, you know, the first time you read it, you think this is kind of boring, very repetitive. But then once you start actually digging into the meaning behind behind those statements, you start to see that there, there really is something there and there's something beautiful and there's something that is deep and meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, to highlight that sort of parallel in my experience, and to say to uh, you know, to those who do hold this as, as inspired, I still disagree. But it is a wonderful text, and I uh I think Protestants would be served well to uh to go ahead and read it. You know, um, it's definitely consistent with the remainder of Scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Jason, do you have any closing remarks about the prayer of Azariah?
2: oh man um i think we i think we hit on everything that's come to mind right now i'm i'm still just blown away with how awesome the like creation connection and imagery is mm-hmm. love it and it, it, i think my favorite thing about the fact that he goes back to creation is we just got through this section of like we have no temple and when you think to the tabernacle and to the temple what was the imagery they used there it was creation. The cre- creation yeah. imagery was what they used on all the temples. Like, even yeah. when you look at the second temple later on, creation imagery is used all throughout. It. In the first yeah, temple, we see creation imagery. It's made to look like the Garden of Eden. Right. The creation um, the story,
1: you see it. The creation story influences nearly every aspect of how we view the temple.
2: Uh-huh. And the fact is, with, if, because, Jordan, I know you and I both are in agreement that the creation story, one of its functions is to establish the entire cosmos as the temple of the Lord. It's like a cosmic temple inauguration in many ways. It's almost like he's coming in here and Azariah is saying, we may not have a physical temple, but by going through this creation story, he's reminding himself and those around him that the entire universe is God's temple. And so wherever they are, God is there too.
1: Man, that's... I hadn't even considered that, but uh, an excellent... I don't know if even... I'll say it may be a, a, I wouldn't say it's a stretch to say that that's, I'll say it's just to think think that's exactly what he's saying, but I think the concept is exactly what you're saying, which is- Hey, stretches
2: are my specialty when it comes to scripture.
1: (laughs) Man, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Anyway. um, Hermeneutical
0: calisthenics.
1: Join us again. Hermeneutical
0: (laughs) calisthenics?
1: I'm not familiar with
2: this word. Anyway. Um, Promenutical calisthenics is one of the greatest <laughs> phrases I've heard in a very long time. Thank you for that. I, um, I, I,
0: I borrowed it from something that was, I think it might have been Edward Fudge who said it. I believe it was, but yeah, it's a good one. That's
1: uh, right. Let's anyway, do some Jesus yoga, y'all. Jesus yoga. Good
0: descriptions.
1: <laughs> anyway, my, I guess my point in saying that is I think your concept that you're mentioning is very accurate to the idea that's being presented here which is god is god of all god is god of everything and if he's god of everything he's god of us and if he's the god of us he's going to deliver us and boy is that such a powerful implication for the entire story i don't know i don't
2: know if i if i'll go that because remember what they said is that our god is able to deliver us and he will deliver us but even if he doesn't right so god is god of everything he's god of the trials and he can deliver us i guess it's, but yeah, even that's... if he doesn't we praise him anyways because we know that all things work to the greater glory
1: you're right and that's I, I think that's really an excellent point i think that's really closer to the point that this is meant to make and i don't mm-hmm. know I, I don't know if this was meant to be seen as or interpreted as um in its original writing I, I, I mean, there getting... were so many writings that came out of the Babylonian exactly. exile, it's, and, and so it's so hard to tell
2: sometimes. It,
1: it, you could say, well, this was originally meant to be there, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but the premise, mm-hmm. you can argue that late, but the premise here is consistent with book of, the book of Daniel, the story that it's being imported into, and the overall themes of God and the nature of God. So I think that that's mm-hmm. powerful, I think it's worth noting.
2: Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's a good wrap up point.
1: With all of that being said, I want to thank everybody for being willing to sit through that and our, our reaction to that really interested to, uh, to see what feedback we get from that, because like, was mentioned earlier we don't know a lot of these things we're not experienced with these things and i'm no, sure it's very be
2: totally off base from yeah, the classic interpretation yeah there's probably song, some
1: stuff that we're missing completely and people or maybe alternatively with a fresh set of eyes somebody who's read this a hundred times like i never thought about that that's really interesting
0: um either and way by the way if you were raised in this tradition and you know this text better than us and we miss something please tell us in the yeah. comments we would love to know uh, we, we're we ready to learn more and we, we oh, think it's all learning. very interesting learning is for people who don't
1: like ignorance and anyways I I'm going to finish ignorance. my degree now anyway, um, that's, um, Jace is about to get a PhD in ignorance I'm just uh, <laughs> anyway.
2: I know it's a PhD in mythology Jordan <laughs> okay. sorry inside joke that's um,
1: definitely an inside joke Anyway, uh, more to the point I hope you guys enjoyed listening to all of that. And if you had no idea what the prayer of Azariah was before, before this, as I had no idea, me too, Uh, which is funny because Daniel, the book of Daniel is like my bread and butter. But uh, if you didn't know about it and you're like, man, that was really interesting. I think that's a great introduction. If you've not experienced extra biblical texts before, because there's some really great extra biblical texts. Don't know that they're inspired. don't think they are, but I do think that it's okay. There are plenty of things I read all the time that are not inspired writings that are, beneficial. And I think most of us would agree with that. Um, these are some of those things and they are beautiful and you can still appreciate them even if you don't think that they're inspired. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope you catch us in the next segment and the next episode. Bye.